Welcome to the Designers Institute Decast. Today we're taking a slight detour and talking about working in-house in, in large organizations. From building internal teams and navigating corporate structures to championing the value of design and the deep understanding that comes from working in a single organization. Today we have two very smart designers who have worked on both sides of the divide to share their experiences and insights. Ryan, would you like to introduce our guests? Thanks, Gideon. Yeah. Um, welcome to the Decast, Bevan Tonks. So Bevan is an Auckland-based award-winning graphic designer who spent 20 years in design studios, gaining experience working across a broad spectrum of design disciplines and business sectors. Before making the move in-house, where he's currently Head of Creative at TIL Brands, overseeing Fragrance House Akoya and Natural Skincare Brand Trilogy. Thanks for joining us, Bevan. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we also have Luke Pitta with us, a design designer and design leader who has a broad background of experience in brand strategy and identity design, packaging design and communication design, spatial design, UX design and product design with a master's in co-design. Luke is currently focused on building design thinking capability as a strategic value driver with one, within one of New Zealand's largest businesses. This involves helping the warehouse group build design thinking capability at scale with a view that it is a skill everyone can master, that everyone can master and something that can be used at every level of the business. Welcome to the Decast Loop. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. Um, appreciate the intro. Excellent. Hi, Bevan. Hi, Luke. Um, why don't we start with a nice easy one? So what is the difference between working in-house as opposed to working in a studio, Bevan? Um, I reckon it depends on the brand, you know, really. But for me, I, I don't think I've seen um, much difference. You know, I think, in effect, dealing with design problems in real time has been a real a great one, you know, intercepting those things on the fly. Um, and then you're just part of all those day-to-day -day product project um, conversations. So it often allows me a chance to evolve creative on the fly. So I think that's been hugely valuable. Yeah. Does that mean like, you know, the difference would be being kind of embedded in an organization that you, you're, you're more in touch with what's happening rather than, you know, I'm, Luke and I were talking about this earlier about this idea about, you know, agency is given agency, whereas being in-house, you, you're actually part of the team? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think you're just in all the conversations, you know, and um, I think oftentimes on the outside, you know, where especially with brand work, there'd be conversations that constantly happen while in your absence but that's just the nature of business you know and you miss out on some of those things so when i was you know doing the rebrand for trilogy there's a lots of stuff i was immersed in on the fly that you would just you would not get as an external unless you had you know a big budget to send the team in-house and spend two to three four weeks you know immersing yourselves before going back out again so i think yeah. you know um that's been a huge advantage you know? I totally agree with that. Eh? I think uh, one of the reasons why I moved into working into the warehouse group from agency was to actually see, uh, I mean, you do work and then in an agency and you kind of hand it over to the businesses and you don't know really know what happens to it. Um, and so that kind of more embedded approach enables you to probably do the work in a more integrated way with the business, which is really positive. I think one of the other reflections is probably um, the there's the agency kind of ways of working and then you've got i'd say more product based ways of working where um you're in-house but you're working directly on a product um for example like devon that's kind of i think kind of close to where you're at at the moment and then you're also there's another one which is working in a corporate environment where you might be working on 
within a large organization on a range of product offerings um, and a range of service offerings. So um, it's it, it, I think when you're working in a large organization where you've got a range of product offerings and a range of service offerings, it actually is quite different again as well, which is um, something we can talk about too. Yeah, I mean, that whole idea about embedding design thinking rather than necessarily working on, on the the outputs of design, you know, you, you that's something that you champion, isn't it, Luke? Yeah, it, it's, um, it's a, cap, a capability that we're trying to build in the business or a muscle, and it's, it's fundamentally grounded in the idea that large businesses need to move a lot faster and make decisions a lot faster. And and that means they have to shift from doing what I'd say centralized decision-making and innovation to more decentralized decision-making and pushing decision-making out to the edges. I think the designer's uh, toolkit um, is really good for making uh, good informed decisions on what the right things are to do uh, using like, you know, feedback loops. And so training the business on how to employ feedback loops and engaging with customers and stakeholders on what the right thing is to make and how to make it the right way so it meets actually customer expectations, business expectations are really critical skills for people operating right at the edge and making decisions on behalf of the customer. So um, it's been quite interesting seeing it employed. Uh, we've got uh, large product squads working on specific categories around looking at baby um, and they're really starting to shape a portfolio of work that's really grounded in what their customers need and starting to deliver quite, I suppose, relevant solutions. So mm. it's it's had a really positive impact in that respect, um, but still heaps of work to do there. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I imagine that the, that uh, uh, I'm getting that whole value of design uh, in an organisation which... Potentially can see designers, you know, coloring in or, or, or yeah. sort of, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The coloring in department. Mm. <laughs> it sounds yeah, like, yeah. sounds like similar challenges from my time at Foodstuffs, Luke, and a lot of that I think we discussed the other week about, um, you know, that whole integration and in design in a business is actually integral to their output. Um, yep. And funnily enough, we, we were references the Department of Coloring in often within the Foodstuffs business. And, and obviously that you know that's so much more than that than just a plan on a page. There's so much input that goes into fueling that plan on a page, right from customer insights to, you know, the the retail side of it or where something should go on a shelf. Yeah, I think the real value of design in, in a large organisation is through making sense of what we're doing by creating something and allowing the like making something, designing something and getting the business to respond to it as to like this is what we're doing or this isn't what we're doing. So there's a real shift from, I suppose, producing documentation to actually producing um, prototypes or designerly type artifacts that represent the end intent and going, yeah, that's what we should be doing. And it's a more, I suppose, it's getting you closer to the end outcome a lot faster. And so I, I see the role as designers and large organizations more around um, the glue that helps bring that integrated thinking together so you have a range of subject matter experts looking at the same thing the same way um, you know they say a picture says a thousand words and it's it's such an accessible medium for people to respond to so um, yeah it's kind of the value I've seen with that and, and it and to your point um, Ryan it kind of shows up at any point of the value delivery process as well from early conception all the way through to the end delivery of something and then reflecting on whether or not that's actually 
working. Yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. be interested to hear a bit more about like the that understanding of a, of a time frame. So I mean, note that the route, you know, speed to market and and a big business like foodstuffs or the warehouse is obviously super important. And I think one of the biggest challenges I faced as head of design within foodstuffs is you know good design can take time so give us that time to you know to to go through that process and get that that high-end output how, how have you found that within the warehouse uh i think for me it's around you have to acknowledge the culture of the business and work with that first um so we're a retailer we we move really fast we have to um and so we so we've had to design it a framework that enables that and so what that looks like is a lot of rapid experimentation um, so it's slightly different than what you'd say was a traditional design approach where you take a lot of time up front to get things right um, we land on what the problem is we spend a good amount of time on that but then we quickly move to implementing solutions which we believe um, would be true and then back up, like, look at all the assumptions we have around that and just use a real rigorous experimentation framework to iron out the details. So it's, um, so yeah, I think I think that's probably an indirect way of answering your question because it really just depends on the business. And I think Bevan's probably got a slightly different perspective on this as well, which I'd be keen to hear. Bevan, what's it been like for you, mate? Well, it's, it's kind of different for both the brands, you know, I think Trilogy has a longer MPD pipeline, you know, and, and to get their stuff to market takes a lot longer because it's a topical product, right? So, and the way the framework of that brand set up now, when it's ready to go, the tools are all in place to package it and then take it to market, building campaigns around. But whereas Akoya, we're kind of in perpetual reinvention every year. You know, the whole point of it is to surprise the you know the, our, our, our consumer base. And so... The MPD line for that is a bit shorter, but we do, yeah, we do a lot of design testing in parallel with product testing. And so I guess from a designer's point of view, to be able to do constant, you know, finished packaging and finished design sampling, you know, three or four times in the timeline before you go to market means that, you know, typically in the past, I've always, you've done artwork, you may have done a print test, but then you go to print and then it's done. So you could evolve and play with things in between those sampling rounds. So it's more of a tactile experiment experimentation, you know? Right. So, yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking, because um, <clears throat> I suppose just reflecting on what you're talking about, I mean, and what I just mentioned was probably like the type of design I was talking about at the warehouse is more around making improvements to the customer experience. But I think we've got uh, like a pretty strong product design component or capability in the business that does, I think, follow quite a similar approach in terms of, you know, you have quite long lead times in terms of delivery and you have enough time to plan and design the range, but then they get a lot of samples back and still iterate on that as well and keep refining. And And I think those core ranges are something that they're constantly optimizing. So it, it's quite iterative and tactile. Is, is it the same with you, Bevan? Like you've got this core range that you're constantly improving or is it? Yeah, 100%. Like with Trilogy, we with the rebrand, we looked at every materiality we had, you know, every material element and reviewed everything from a ground up. So for that, it was a complete reinvention to start the benchmark for then refinements, you know, part of the agenda with the rebrand as a clean skincare company was to look at our impact and what we produce. 
And we quickly identified that you don't talk about sustainability because it's it's a moving target and the technology changes constantly year to year. So what you achieve this year is is irrelevant next year. Mm. So we just set the benchmark that we got a nice starting point to then do that constant um, refinement as we go on, you know, year on year. So now we've got that, we'll, we'll relook at formulations, you know, materials, all sorts on a year by year basis and constantly sort of push further forward. With Acura, it's kind of different. Um, Yes, we've got a stock category of products, which is our core range. We'll constantly re, you know, look at ways we can improve that, you know, the stability of it, how it performs, so forth. But it's all the new product stuff is where most of the energy goes into and, and making sure that, you know, um, has a really good base level to begin with. And then when it gets to market, you know, and if it's popular, we do still do take refinements on it as well um, to make it better. For that. Does it take a bit of a mind, uh, mindset shift to focus so deeply on a, you know, like a single family of, of brands um look i think it depends on the creative right i think yeah after 20 years i was in a headspace where i welcomed it you know i i'd worked on a lot of different brands a lot of different things that it, you know in even a student environment you're trafficking a lot of different clients through at one time mm. so i was ready for the change to just pivot and and try what it's like to just zero in on something and i've personally really enjoyed it for me it's been something that I've I think got me at the right time in my life, the move, um, and the right time of my headspace. So I love it because I get to, you know, um, try and begin to align the design across the brand from all points and slowly bring it all together, you know, which you don't get to do out of house unless you've got a you know retainer or something with them that allows that you'll be full immersion in terms of a, you know, of a design process. But um, that's great for someone with OCD like me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> is that a bit of a pre-reek for in-house is that if you're obsessive like i am it's a perfect place for you mm. yeah well I, it means that you can keep exploring and exploring and exploring and refining whereas i think our agency side is as you say once it's done it's done and you send it off and you know you move on to the next thing mm. um yeah it's it, kind of like a game of whack-a-mole i mean that's for me like it's the organizations are such large things that I'm trying to move so quickly. There's always new problems to solve within mm. the business context. So you might think you've nailed something down, but then the business has moved on. So there's more work to do. So it's like, um, there's so much work to do. So. Hey, on that kind of like that organizational thing, you know, is it a challenge being a designer in a, in a non-creative um, organization in the sense that you you know there is there is lots of machinations and politics and things like that I don't mean that in the in the kind of the gossipy side of politics but but you know um, people have their agendas of what they want to achieve is, is it a challenge sometimes to, to push that the, the the idea or great ideas through um, yeah look I think if we think about the role that you play in the organization you know and if you if you're coming from an agency you're very much you have agency to do the job. So you're, you're employed. The decision's already been made by the business that they're going to bring you in to do the work. So you have agency to do the work. Um, but within an internal environment, you're, it's, it's quite a different dynamic because there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of opposing views on how things need to be done. Um, you have constraints like resources and people's time and like the business is always going to want to do more than and the time and people it's got so 
it's always a challenge to protect what you think is important. I've found um, with that though, it's really about making sure you're focusing on delivering like value where you can deliver value and be really clear around what your role is as a designer. So um, very much I think when I came from an agency environment, I would feel like I think the, the designer or being a designer was very much the central to the function of the agency. And so there was a lot of value in just what you did. Um, but when you work into, say, I'd like a large organization, there's many people working in the organization who do like add equal amount of value. So you're, you're not the superstar, you know, you're just one of the people that are all pulling together to try and do something. So yeah, I, I always go back to, you know, just keep adding value, keep demonstrating mm. like, what people need to do and lead by example by making stuff that people can respond to because that's what you're good at. So I don't know if I answered the question, but it's kind of like oh, politics no, no, you did. a hard game to play uh, as a designer. And so you actually just need to kind of step away from the politics and just carry on just delivering the stuff that you're good at because that'll always stand up above the politics. Yeah, I, so look, I'm I think politics is... I think politics is a, is a uh, is a bit of an overstatement, and I you know I, I um, maybe was using it out of context. I mean, it, it's more that, that there are far more agendas at play around a, a, a table in a large organisation than there is in an agency. Bevan, what's what's it been like at um, at Trilogy managing? You know, uh, you know, do you have a seat at the top table? Do you are you are you presenting to the you know the 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 leaders of the business or are you kind of in the middle when i was born in to do the trilogy it was i had my com first conversation was the ceo right. she, she she talked to me about the job and and so it was always me talking directly to her and then they assembled a team from a couple of people in the business that kind of gave me both sides of the business to, to then we were the three of us would work on it so i think you know with both brands the design teams do operate like agencies within the business but I think I'd like to echo what um, Luke was saying that, you know, for me, it's been a hugely humbling process in the sense that, yeah, in a studio where your design is what you sell, you are the somewhat the top of the picking order, you know, in terms of that regard, or you're, you're elevated. And that's not to say you're not in these businesses, but you share the limelight with the people in operations, the people in the rest of the marketing team. Yeah. And it's the collective that makes it work. Because, you know, I sat at the end of yesterday's FY. 22 um, summary and you get a lot of praise for different components but everyone shares in that equal praise because yeah. you do your job but if operations can't do their job then the product doesn't get there and MPD and so forth so it's I think it's a really lovely experience of end-to-end -end yeah. ownership of the process because I love that too eh? like I love being part of that a broader group of practitioners or people who actually all have to work together to make something happen it's really cool yeah, yeah totally yeah. So it's a real item. Like even I, I found that in the first year, as year again, end of financial year, of just perform, you know, reviewing things, and you can see, you know, whether this is just you know an ignorance thing for my partner, but you got to see where you know the bulk of your sales come a year, and you see that okay, if I didn't get my job right, if I didn't do what I did properly, and I didn't understand the consumer, then that figure could be in jeopardy, and that has repercussions throughout the entire business. And I think you know, there's some regards when you're sitting on the outside of businesses and you aren't privy to that information, there's some, you know, um, don't see, don't know. You don't understand the true impact of whether your work is successful or not sometimes, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Whether that's yeah. just me, you know, my ignorance to that point, but I found that a huge eye-opener, you know? Like it didn't, 
didn't put any undue pressure on me, but it was just a, another thing to realise that, you know, if you get it right, you get you get it really right. But if you get it wrong, there's huge repercussions. You know? I think it would be really good for, for, for agency designers to work in-house to understand that. The, the, the actual, you know, you're not as important as the, you think you are. However, you are important in ways that you're, that you're unaware you know that that flow on effect how you can affect the bottom line how you can you can affect all sorts of things but uh, you know i i wonder is there a, can you be too close you know that there is the argument for objectivity of being an external being able to 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 see what what an organization or what a brand looks like from the from the outside that gives you gives you a a, a bit of view I think it depends on the creative right if you if you're a creative that's always got your eyes open and you and you're not just you're not just opening them when you're preparing or researching for a project. If you're always viewing the wider world, then I think that that conversation is kind of, you know, moot. Um, so it really depends on that creative, you know, how you handle yourself, how you, how you absorb and how you consume your, your inspiration, you know? And so, you know, for me, I always, I'm always looking at different things. So I don't necessarily have an issue with it personally. Um, but I can't, you know, I can't speak for other people either. You know, I can see how it can be. I yeah. definitely, yeah, yeah. I, I can see how it can be. I think there's a there's a risk of becoming too institutionalised. Um, if you like work within a large organisation for a long time, you kind of accept some of the um, reasons why things can't be done. Um, I think it, it's also, you know, to Bevan's point. Then I think it's just about checking yourself and making sure you're asking the right questions of the business. You know, I always go back to the business and say, well, you know, does the customer care about this? Um, ultimately, that's the most important thing. And, and you know, really doubling down on making sure that, you know, the stuff we deliver um, is, you know, is done in a way that customers expect because they, they spend like seconds on stuff we spend months on, mm. right? So it's kind of making sure that people are focusing on the right things. But... When it comes to engaging agencies, there's so much value in that because they can help you unlock value in the business itself because, like I said, they're brought in to do a job and they can speed things up and there's sometimes there's limited politics and or there's just more focus on the work because you're having someone in to help you with it. So um, there's so much benefit, I think, in getting external partners in and creating, I think, large organisations do quite a good job at that because they create kind of they choose their partners hey, wisely you know well that's what something that the ceo and i discussed really early on and she was acutely aware of not involving me too much in management meetings and so for that so even though i sat at a certain level i wasn't included in a lot of these management meetings to make sure i had the time to stay somewhat objective or you know you don't get that analysis paralysis right yeah. so um it allowed me the freedom to be somewhat ignorant and still ask the stupid questions you know and yeah. you know i think that was really healthy for me uh, also. there's no such thing as a stupid question just a stupid answer hey I, I, one of the things that that, that i um I, you know i i think is interesting is is that 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 in-house you you're one step closer to the customer the consumer the person who actually uses the design uh, which is really interesting because you know when you're an external supplier, you are always filtered by the the business itself. Whereas in the organisation, you're actually more focused on your consumer, your customer, the end user. So that's kind of I, I suppose that would be a real freedom. Um, mm. One question I have for you guys is, what do your teams look like, Bevan? 
Um, both brands have got a design team of a pairing of designers. Um, yep. And so I sit across those and then they're supported by the marketing teams, but we've got split digital teams as well um, and, and PR teams. So the, the both brands have a marketing department that's made up of the creative team and a number of other people. So they essentially are responsible for the creative of the brand. So you are collaborating a lot across those different parts. Yeah. Do you draw from deeper from 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 the organisation as well? So not just designers. Uh, you know, like you say, there's marketing. I mean, having marketing would would be an asset. But you know, like product designers, or is there you know like uh, um, uh, yeah, logistics people? I don't know. You know. Yeah, I mean, in Akoya, I work side by side with MPD, which is the new product development. Um, so we kind of I'm in really early on that stuff, and we're discussing even the design of the objects and and you know how we want to treat it, formulations and that kind of stuff. Um, on the trilogy side, the MPD is very, because it's commercially sensitive stuff, it's very, very tight early on, you know. Yeah. Um, but during the rebrand and when we were going through all the materiality of things, I was working really closely with the MPD manager on that to make sure that, you know, any choices we make to the collar design or the pumps or the, the way the experience of the, the, the thickness or the, or the viscosity of the plastic we use in the tube, what's all that experience, that was, I was in there on all of that stuff. So... Yeah, that's that. It does expand past our marketing for sure. Depending, it's just you know on a project by project basis, really. Yeah. How about you, Luke? Yeah, I'm glad I had a bit of time to think about that. Thanks for answering that question first, Bevan. Um, I mean, where I'm at now versus where I was when I came into the group, quite different. I'll talk about now, and then I'll talk about how what I because the roles have changed, but all design related. So now I'm kind of I I don't have a team direct of direct reports as such but um i'm kind of employed to work across the whole business currently um to ensure that they're using or um, i suppose uh employing i hate to use that word for us <laughs> um into and like into their just using the tools like the design thinking frameworks and tools that we've developed in the right way to kind of help inform decision making so you know currently the team that I'm working with or coaching as the executive leadership team and the tribe leads and cows and so the tools that we've developed that for what they're working on at the moment we're coaching through kind of getting them to use it and so that's very much grounded in that ethos of everyone can do design thinking so but it's just relevant to what problems they're solving right now but then then in some instances I'll be working in a squad on a specific like what I'd call a wicked problem and so then I would be coaching them on how to employ design thinking to arrive at the right outcome so it's very my teams or the people that I work with are very much varied at this point but I think the way the reason the way I've got to that point is because I've created a framework that or a set of tools that everyone can kind of use um, so that's enabled me to kind of move freely between the business and we've got a range of other design thinking coaches that uh, do the same thing but I think um, previous to that, when I started, I had I was I was heading up the user experience component of the business, and very much had what originally we had a centralised function of designers um, that we basically tried to pull work into the into the into that function, and so a large part of what I was doing was basically managing the pipeline. Um, kind of quickly realized that it was a pretty ineffective way of working and so we started to um, do more of like what I call a hub and spoke model so we pushed the designers out into the business units and um, they developed basically a domain understanding of the business problems and the customers and got a lot closer to 
like creating these working relationships and collaborative relationships with the business. So, um, and then that became far more effective, right? Because it goes back to that point around design kind of being the glue. And so the more immersed the designers got into the problem space that the business was trying to solve for the customer, and the closer they got to the customer, the more effective and uh, I suppose the more impact they could have. Um, and we used to bring them back together for what I'd say is kind of um, like uh, what you'd say is kind of like craft or um, I suppose design type um, events to make sure that we're keeping the design culture going. So that was important as well. Um, and the way that that really we enabled that to happen again was kind of like a more design ops approach where we're using more standardized frameworks and tools across the business, especially from a UX point of view. So making sure we're all using the same patterns and sharing knowledge about what we were testing and what wasn't working so that we weren't solving the same problem twice. So that was a really important part that enabled that. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the journey. And then I think that's kind of moved into when we flipped to Agile's being quite effective as well because um, essentially, I think that's the kind of approach that you want to take in an agile organization. So that's an interesting kind of challenge in the sense that, you know, like working agile where you're mixing your teams up so the designers get to move around or the creators get to move around the, um, the business and actually be, you know, that one step closer to, to, the, to the problem. Yeah, yeah, it is good and it's bad because they, um, they, they're really close to the problem and they can get really... Um, good at solving the problem in a way that's effective but sometimes it can look a bit weird or show up a bit weird because they're not um, aligned to or they don't have a shared understanding of what good looks like at a design level mm -hmm. and so you know like there's that there's that whole component I think which Bevan's probably done a really been doing a really amazing job on this which is creating a really strong design language in the business that's um, and codifying that so that it's accessible to everyone, um, not just the designers, you know, because that's when that's when it becomes really powerful. So mm. that's the job to do, I think, if you move into like a more federated approach to so what design would you, resource. What would you see the advantages of, of, of working, you know, um, client side as opposed to agency side? Luke? Evan, do you want to go first? Um, I think it's the I think it's the immersion. Like I I was. I was talking to, we've got a new CEO starting with the Trilogy brand and he was asking me about the rebrand because he wasn't part of it. And, and I said, you know, I don't think it would look anything like it does had I been on the outside, you know, and that's not to say it would look worse. It would just be different, you know? And I think the fact that I had all that time working with some key team members, developing the concept in conjunction with them meant that there's some there's some definitely some very distinct parts of the design language that are wholly because of conversations I've had with them, you know, mm. and I mean, real world conversations about what the consumer works, the shopability of it, all that stuff. And and the same goes with Acquire too, like all our design decisions happen quite democratically. You know, there are there is a you know a trump card in the mix, but you know, I think we open it up and we get enough of input from everyone understand our consumer because we all come with our own prejudices a little bit too creatively mm -hmm. we are also the consumer we're also a different kind of consumer as well so um, it's really handy to have that check in place to make sure that we are still pushing it out a little bit each time and hopefully appealing to a slightly wider audience every time we build something but we don't alienate what we've got and so that's kind of that evolving um 
brand names. So we use this thing where if we took a limited edition that we did say this year and we plonked that creative two years ago, it would have flopped, you know, because it was we've been gradually pushing that stuff forward. So being ingrained with a business, it, sh- it gives you the patience, but also gives you the the remit to be able to do that. Do that. So, mm. Having a more longer term view, ah, it's becoming yeah. a theme. Hey, uh, <laughs> one last question for you, Bevan. Do you have to fill in timesheets still? That was one of my prerequisites from turning up. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Any yeah, I, I, I was saying this to someone the other day. I it took me a year to deprogram because you know, in studios we sell hours, right? So we're yeah. in and there. And I would say, oh, look, I've got to be late tomorrow um, because I've got to drop my son off. And they're like, we don't care. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, but no, you just do what you need to do. You just get the job done. We don't care if you come in and go in. Just it's a matter of just be there, get the job done. So that was a huge deprogramming yeah. thing. But yeah, it was good not to yeah. do it. And that's good. <laughs> yeah. So, Luke, what do you see as the advantages and disadvantages of working uh, client-side? Yeah, I think uh, what Bevan said nailed a lot of it in terms of the immersion component. I think the design decisions that you're helping, you're making and helping the business make are just a lot more relevant and uh, realistic. So you're actually working a lot closer to that point of delivering real value. And so it's a lot more rewarding, I find. Um, your feedback's a lot more... You, you get a lot more feedback. You're so close to the customer. You can deliver stuff. You see exactly what it's happening, what's happening, and um, so yeah. That I think for me, that's part of it. But also the just the being. I, I really enjoy being part of a, a bigger, bigger team of people that, mm. and, and being exposed to a broader set of conversations. And with that, the development opportunities that come with that. You know, like I've, I've had loads of development opportunities since being in the group you know i never thought i'd be working on in the team that's helping with the organizational redesign but that was something that i was doing a year and a half ago through lockdown and so um that's cool right because it's still design and then you start to realize that the, the skills you have are really quite um transferable to a lot of problems and so i think you can push I think from, as a practitioner, you can really push into some interesting spaces if you have the self-confidence and you can um, get the build confidence within within the business. And I think one point that's really important for that is making sure that you've got good visibility with the execs and you get exec sponsorship. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think um, Bevan nailed it before and, and it's true for me too. We have really, I have really good exec sponsorship on uh, and an understanding of what design is and does and once you have that then i think the remit that you can um chases becomes kind of quite boundaryless mm-hmm. and yeah I, I love that actually it's just it becomes really boundaryless like what you can do with design um once you get into a large organization given the opportunity which is that, that is actually the thing eh? like i'm constantly surprised the conversations i'm pulled into not because i don't think i should be in it but i'm like oh wow that's they want my opinion here you know that's yeah. really yeah. hugely humbling you know yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like I, yeah, uh, yeah, I just love it, eh? It's great. Okay. Brilliant. Hey, well, thanks, guys. All right. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much, guys. A massive thanks to our guests today, Bevan Tonks and Luke Pitter. Some great insights into design and house and being client side. We really appreciate your time. You've been listening to a Designers Institute decast, and we'll see you again next time.